Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast, an interview show all about art, craft, and creativity. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by teatimescreations.etsy.com. The shop features repurposed fine china creations, including tea and cake stands. They also carry a full line of supplies for you to make your own tea stand at home. So if you're either you're looking for pieces or drilling services to make your own tea stand or you'd like to buy one for your next tea party, head over to teatimescreations.etsy.com and they can hook you up. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 125 of the Craft Sanity Podcast. I'm happy to be back at the mic. This time I'm bringing you an interview with Brett Barra. She is the author of Sewing in a Straight Line, Quick and Crafty Projects You Can Make by Simply Sewing Straight. This is a really fun sewing book that is well done. It's really nice that it appeals both to the beginner. It's accessible and the directions are clear. So all you beginning sewers out there, this is one that you could actually pick up and start sewing a project from. And Brett is going to share a really interesting story of how she has wound her way to crafting for a living. And it's an interesting trajectory. And you're going to hear all about it on this episode. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy hearing from Brett. I know I met Brett uh, quite a few years ago. And um, she was kind enough to interview me for an episode of Knit and Crochet today. I got to come on and talk about the Craft Sanity podcast, and I was wearing one of my aprons, and I was super excited, and it's actually, I don't know if Brett knows this, but it was that interview with Brett that I, by the time we recorded it, I believe we recorded it in the summer, and it was the summer before I quit my job, so I want to say that might have been like 2006. When it came out, you know, I had been gearing up to quit my day job, but when I saw the interview when I I was watching, you know, Brett asked me these questions and I was talking about this podcast and I thought, wow, I look so happy in that interview. I really need to pursue this. And the cool thing is on this episode of the podcast, you're going to hear about Brett's career change. Recently, she was the editor of of Crochet Today magazine and she'd been in that post for a while. So she's going to talk about that and all the other crafty things she's up to right now. We're going to start things off with talking about her latest project, this book project, uh, after the interview, after you listen, head over to craftsanity.com. I'm going to have links to all Brett's. She's got lots of great giveaways going on. She's also got some really wonderful video tutorials on her website, so I'll have links to all that that you can just click over. Uh, also, after the interview, I want you to visit the Craft Sanity website, and under the post for episode 125 of this podcast, leave a comment about your first sewing project. Tell us your, you know, whether it went like a, it was smooth as silk and you had a great first outcome or if it was a bit of a disaster we want to hear about those too but tell us about your first sewing project and we're going to give away a copy of brett's book we'll pick a random winner and we'll do that um i'll give you let's see i'll give you until uh next monday to enter so this is august 2nd 2011 when i'm posting this so i'm going to give you until well actually let's just make it a week i'll give you until august 9th to enter so by the end of the day august 9th eastern time Leave a comment, and we will give away a copy of her book. Okay, so let's get on to that interview. Well, Brett, I'm so happy to have you on the show, and I know I I met you a long time ago, and it's been so fun to kind of watch 
as your career has just exploded. I mean, this is really, I'm so excited oh, for you and your you. new book, Sewing in a Straight Line, quick, quick and Crafty Projects You Can Make by Simply Sewing Straight, which is just, you've simplified sewing for a lot of people. And I know as you read, I read in your, just at the very beginning of your book, you kind of explained that, you know, you've met a lot of people who, you know, you'll be talking about your sewing projects and they're kind of like, oh, I wish I could do that. And uh, it sounds like you've always thought that everybody can do this. And so if you can tell me a little bit about what yeah. led you to do this sewing project, and then we'll kind of back up from there and kind of retrace your steps from your crafty beginnings to your current career. Okay. So let's just talk about your newest venture here. All right. Well, yeah, it's true. I I just noticed that people would always say to me that they wish they could sew. And it felt like it was happening a lot more in the last few years, which I think had a lot to do with Project Runway and, you know, Etsy and crafting just kind of becoming more mainstream and more popular in the past few years. And it just seemed like everywhere I went, whether I was here in New York City or um, in another part of the country, that whenever I started talking about sewing, all kinds of crafting, but sewing especially, people would say how much they wanted to learn to sew, but that they, you know, it's just so hard, and sewing machines, mm-hmm. and oh my gosh, and tension, and bobbins, and bleh, and they just really, it's like a scary thing to people for some reason, um, which I just always thought was weird, because I don't, I just don't think it's hard. I learned to sew when I was really little, as did a lot of people, and, um, you know, it's a thing you have to learn, but it's no harder than, I don't know, learning to use email or something. So um, I just thought if people could understand that it can be really easy to sew, that it, sewing doesn't have to be like making a t- couture right. gown. It can be just making curtains, which are just really, really easy. And I thought, you know, maybe there would be a way to break it down and show people how easy it can be. And also, I had this little epiphany one day when I was sewing that so much of what I sew literally only uses straight lines. Like I was thinking about curtains and quilts and duvets and... Um, just all kinds of things that were straight Mm -hmm. lines only. And I was just thinking, you know, it's just the easiest skill ever. And I think I make a lot of cute stuff. (laughs) And so maybe I can show people that you can make really cute stuff with, you know, that one easy skill. So that's kind of how it all, the book came Well, and and let's talk a little bit about what you've included here, because there's quite a bit of variety. So you're, and as you said, I mean, there's so much you can make with a straight line. And uh, you're doing everything from accessories to clothing to things for the home. How did you go about deciding on what projects to put into your book? Well, um, I wanted to do a range of projects. I didn't want to do only home decor, only clothes. I wanted to do a little bit of everything because I do a little bit of everything in my life. You know, I kind of always want, you know, my crafts go across all fields of my life. So I guess I wanted to reflect that. And, um, and then I tried, so I tried to think of projects that would be super, super easy and then that would build skills for people. And then there's even some challenging projects. So like there's, um, there's an elastic skirt and a throw pillow, um, that are really, really easy. And then let's see. So I've, I've got, um, an elastic skirt. I've got a skirt with like a tailored waistband and a button placket. So that one teaches you a lot of stuff. I've got a sundress with um, with shearing on it that's gathered and um, another dress with like a kind of, I call it an origami trim. It's like this sort of tricky folded trim that looks really fancy, but it's actually just 
a strip of fabric that you fold and stitch. There's a top made out of um, chiffon silk, which is really cool because that helps you learn how to work with a sheer fabric. There's um, oh, there's a tote bag, and then there's a there's a purse made out of um, fake. I think it's fake ostrich. It's, it's <laughs> leather, and that one was really cool. I love the way it turned out, and there's, that's actually a tricky fabric to sew with. So that project teaches how to sew with vinyl, which is really kind of opens up a world of possibilities. And then let's see, I've got curtains and that teaches you how to modify the curtains for any size window so you can customize them for your house. There's a pillow with a zipper in it so you learn to make a and zipper. And you did a video, you, you did a video showing that zipper project on your website, which is, yeah, it, it's a, such a I cute did. video and it's short and it gets people right to the point quickly and it does really totally hammer home how simple it is to do that project. So, yes. Zippers are so easy to install, and I, I've sort of become obsessed with them because I think they're kind of fun to do, and, like, they make you really proud that you put in a zipper, but they're so <laughs> easy. It's, like, easier than – I always say it's easier than actually making a throw pillow and, you know, whip-stitching the opening clothes because then you have to sit there and whip-stitch it by hand. It's actually faster just to put Which in a zipper true. with your machine. Very true. So, yeah, yeah. So I just want everyone in the world to be making zippered pillows. I think. Okay, it's very before important. I interjected with your video information here, what you were you were giving you were talking about some of the other projects in the book. Yeah, so um, I actually don't have the book in front of me. No, it's that's okay. Silly. I know you have the duvet but, um, cover. Um, you have the clutter busting bucket tote. Um, oh yeah, so then there's um, like a, a fabric tote to you know have around the house to put your yarn in or whatever you have. You have some quilts um, in there, at least one quilt that I. Some quilts, two quilts, yeah, and that like, the yeah. um, there's one quilt that's called Wonky Diamonds on Point, and that's actually a really rather challenging quilt project. Um, as my tech editor will attest, that one was a bear to get together, and um, you know that's one where if you already know how to sew, there's still some projects in here for you that are going to be challenging or interesting. So. You know, it's not just only super beginner basic stuff. Oh, there's a um, there's a slip cover for an ottoman. There's some pillow chains. Wow, yeah, there are a lot of projects. There are a lot of projects, here. and you have like the, the cards, um, the greeting cards, and um, yeah, go into the gift chapter. So then there's like some little stuffed animals. There's some nesting fabric bowls. They're really neat because they're made out of a square of fabric, and then you kind of make this I little. I love those. I, I'm totally one. making those. Yeah, I Yay. haven't made them yet, but I, I, I do want to make those because I think they're just so fun to organize. I mean, it just makes – I have a lot of stuff. I'm like a clutter bug. I mean, I yeah. collect stuff. And you know how crafting stuff gets out of control. You know, you have tons of stuff. But if you have your oh, yarn yeah. setting in very – like set up in pretty little bowls, it looks like, you know, you're totally on top of it and you know you, you like meant to do that. You meant to get all that yeah. fabric just, or all those – all that yarn, that, so you could put it, it into good. your awesome fabric bowls. Yeah, but no, those are really cool. And um, yeah, so I, I, what I like about this book is that even people like there might be people out there that are big time quilters and they've been you know quilting forever, but they would panic at the thought of making a dress because that's just not what they're used to. Yeah. What I like about this book is there's something in here. I mean, you cover all all kinds of sewing, you know, from garments to quilts to other, you know, little gifty things like that. The sewing kit is so cute that folds up into a little box shape. Um, I mean, it's really fun. And I think for me, I've done a variety of sewing projects, but there's, and I've been sewing for a, a quite a while, and, but there's still, I mean, there's tons of stuff in here that I would want to do 
And okay. so it doesn't strike me as being cool. one of those super basic beginner books that an advanced person would not want to even really spend any time with. What you've successfully done is kind of made something that is accessible to the beginner and still interesting to the experienced sewist. So kudos to you for, for doing that. Cause it's a, wow. It's, thank you so much. That's well, it's great. A, it's a tricky thing to do too. You know, when you're trying to reach a wide audience, sometimes certain segments feel like they've been left behind and you've, you've brought everyone along and uh, congratulations. Cause this really is cool. And what I oh. think is interesting, cause you were you. the editor of crochet today for how long, how long did you do that job? I, I think I was at that job for almost okay. five so years. So I think a lot of people um, probably most recently associate you with, you know, uh, crocheting, and then you were the you're the host of Knit and Crochet Today. So people know you're into the fiber art. But so have you gotten any people that have been surprised, like, whoa, Brett came out with a sewing book? Like, were we, or, or do people know that you sew? I mean, because I know you've done some sewing tutorials online and um, on the web. But but have yeah. people been? Have, has anyone said anything like, wow, we didn't know that you sew too? <laughs> um that's a good question I don't it's funny because let's see if you if you have been to read my blog on me on twitter I talk about sewing all the time in addition to um other crafts so I think that that audience knew that I you know they already knew that I sewed um so that audience and that's the audience I you know kind of talk to every day those are the people I hear from on twitter and blog comments so they weren't surprised but um I don't know if other, what other people out there might have thought. That's a good question. But um, I feel like people do – it's very common for people to do oh, yeah. more than one craft. Yeah. And it's kind of – I'm sure, you, obviously, that's your philosophy, too, with your magazine and your podcast but um, and your blog. But I think that within the industry, like on the publishing side of the industry or the craft company side of the industry, because I work – you know, I work kind of behind the scenes with some different craft companies, and obviously I worked in publishing, and I feel like on that side of the industry, people always talk about how you can't cross craft. You can't try to market something that is sewing and knitting because it just won't sell, or you can't market knitting and crocheting together. And maybe it's true that when people want to buy something, they want to buy it specific to the subject that they're working on, and that's fair enough, but I've always believed that people do multiple crafts and it's just it's what we do if you're crafty chances are you like to dabble in different things I think it's kind of rare that someone only crochets so I don't think that people are that surprised I think that it makes sense and I think that I've gotten a a, a nice reaction from um from readers and viewers who are like hey I love to sew too or my mom taught me so when I was little and I didn't really keep up with it but I've always wished I could start again so I hear more comments like that. Yeah well I think what's really cool about it too is it it is demonstrating once again that there are many people out there who can who can kind of hold their own in multiple realms whether it be knitting crocheting you know sewing yeah and I think that I know I've heard from a lot of you know people in the publishing industry too that you don't you know, you don't really mix your crafts, but, um, I think that is kind of falling away a little bit because there's so many of us out there that are doing more than one thing. And, you know, so I think it's great yeah. that you've, you know, come out with this book and, um, just kind of, you know, given, and you're giving us every reason to now expect, you know, now we'll be looking for your weaving book next or something else. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what you come up with next. But what I'd like to do before we get too far, and we will come back to some of your current projects because what I wanted I would love to update people on you know kind of where you've where your career has led but before we do that if you can kind of 
take us back to your childhood and kind of how you got started with sewing and crocheting and all those crafty things and kind of um, share a little bit about what kinds of jobs you've had along the way. Because I think a lot of the folks at home listening are often, uh, some of them are at a point where they're like really trying to push toward, you know, living their crafty dream. And when they hear from inspiring folks like you, it's, you know, just hearing your story is going to help them perhaps um, be motivated to take a step toward their dream today. So, uh, so if we can, yeah, so we can go All back right. to your, your crafty beginnings. Uh, how did things start out for you? Well, um, my mom is super, super crafty. Like it's definitely, you know, she was my, she was my great influence in crafting and still is, but um, she is a very talented crafter. And so I just, you know, I just grew up with crafts and my dad is a carpenter. So he's, very good with his hands as well, and he's always building things. So at our house, we just, um, you know, I just grew up in a house where we made everything ourselves. Um, in fact, to the point that, like, you would never call a repairman for something, which probably could have became a problem at times. But, you know, it was like, we only do it ourselves. So... <laughs> Yeah, I know how some of those there are some things that I'm sure and some of those projects yeah. can take so much longer than if you just call the plumber, you know. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people out there know oh, where yeah. I'm going I with think that. We've all been there. But yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> But um anyway, my house is just super do it yourself house and um I just remember being really, really little and watching my mom sew and being fascinated by it. Um, I can still see her old, she had this old necky sewing machine that was the kind that was in a cabinet that folded up and it had a knee pedal instead of a foot pedal. Or this little leaf that I drew and cut out and taped it on her machine with a piece of scotch tape. And it is still there. She still has the machine. She doesn't use it anymore. But, like, you could open up that machine and that little smiley sticker is on there. And I think I probably was, like, three or four when I made that. And um, so I just remember being so young and, like, hanging out and, like, seeing the pat. I used to love to see the patterns and the tissue paper and the bobbins and, you know, all that stuff. So I really wanted to start sewing and crafting when I was really little. I think my mom was, you know, probably with her supervision letting me play on the sewing machine when I was, like, four or five. And I remember learning to knit while I was watching Sesame Street. So I think I probably, again, was like four or five. And I, I totally have this memory of I could knit a row and then I couldn't, I couldn't like start the next row myself. And I can just remember like sitting on the couch and watching Sesame Street and I finished a row and I, my mom was in the kitchen and I like called her in to start the next row for me. And it was, I love those memories because I just, I must've been so little. And I just love to think that my mom was, you know, teaching me those things when I was so little and I was the only girl in the family. So that was just, that was just totally our special thing that we did together. And then I just grew up with that. Like I, we went to ceramics, like ceramics were the big thing when I was probably like starting in maybe oh, yeah. fourth ceramics or fifth grade. Were huge. My mom and my Everybody was painting ceramics. Yes. <laughs> Early eighties. <Yep>. Yeah. <laughs> Um, my mom and my aunt and I would do ceramics together. We went to like, um, there was just like an open painting session at one of the ceramic studios every Thursday night. And we would go there every week for a long time. So, um, I just grew up with all that kind of stuff. I got into cross stitching when I was in like middle school in eighth grade. I, um, 
I had a little boyfriend, and for Christmas, I made him a cross-stitch of four galloping horses. Oh, like, I was wow. so proud of that, and I'm looking back, like, I cannot believe I made my boyfriend a cross-stitch for Christmas, but I thought it was the greatest <laughs> thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and did, did the relationship last for a while after that? Yeah. Oh, yes, it did. It did. And, you know, he was an artist, and he used to make me drawings oh, for gifts, and that was just, like, the sweet. I know, the sweetest thing in the world. So there was that, and then in high school, I started quilting, and I started um, sewing some clothes in high school. Um, so it just was, it was just what I did, you know, I just, and I also loved paper crafts back then, and um, that was just my big time um, Now, hobby. where did you grow up? What, what then, city were you in? I was outside okay. of Pittsburgh in Western okay. Pennsylvania, in a um, pretty rural area, and um so, yeah, we pretty much lived out in the country. My parents had a, still have a huge garden. They're big gardeners, and they were always, always canning and preserving and freezing. It was like they were homesteaders, you know, way before it became hip to be a homesteader. So um, I grew up, like, knowing what a good tomato was from a very young age, you know, things like that. So I also feel like I got a serious appreciation of real food and good food. From a, from a young age, and that's something I'm grateful for because sometimes it feels like people don't always know what real no, food there is are, anymore there are in our country. Food comes from the grocery store, and I mean, I can't think of anything yeah. sadder than that. You know, I so yeah, I think well, yeah. how great for you to to grow up with the whole canning experience and all that. So you, so this is like now that everyone's getting into this, you're like, okay, I've totally been there, done that. You know, I, I know, yeah. I know. I know. I swear every, every summer my parents must be sick of it because I always go home. I mean, I go home whenever I can, but I always go home like in August for a week just to soak up the, like the country in the summertime experience. And every single year I'm like, mom and dad, you wouldn't believe it. People think canning is this new big thing and everyone's blogging about it and everyone has chickens and <laughs> well, what is it like for you? Because now you're in Brooklyn and, you know, it's... Yeah, and I just moved to Brooklyn. I've been living in Manhattan for the past 13 years. So moving to Brooklyn was almost like moving out to the country <laughs> for me. Yeah, there's a little more. It's a little a little more. It's slower paced than the, the down, you know, in the city. But yeah, yeah. so that's... Well, we'll wind yeah. up. But I actually love the city. I love living in the city. It's um, I love being able to go back to Pennsylvania and just totally relax. go to college? So I went to college at a little college called Muhlenberg that is um, a little liberal arts school that's in um, Allentown, Pennsylvania. So it's across the state from where my parents were. It was about five or six hours from my parents. So um, I went out there and um, I studied. So this is funny. You want to laugh? When I went away to college, I thought I was going to be a doctor and I was going to be pre-med, which is just the most ridiculous thing because it could not be further from what my skill set is. Did you like science um, before that? And I just did you, you didn't even no, like science? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I'm terrible at science and math. jeez. But I was a smart kid, and I feel like it was a little bit – there was kind of some unfortunate guidance counseling oh, yeah. or maybe just mentoring in my class because, unfortunately, if you were a smart kid in my, my school, they just told you you had to be an engineer or a doctor. That was, like, kind oh, of the yeah, only – and that doesn't work for everybody. I you mean, know? Yeah. No. And it's so unfortunate. Like, I was never, ever – even though I was crafting, like, mad on the side um, – I was never really encouraged to do anything creative um, 
for a job. Like I was really good at writing and I always got a lot of, um, you know, a lot of encouragement from my writing teachers. But when I would ask them, what can you do as a career in writing? They would say, I don't know. You could maybe be a technical writer. You could write like technical uh, manuals yeah. for, for like electronic companies. So and I was like technical manuals for electronic companies. I don't think right, I want right. to do that. So I just didn't know. I truly didn't know that there were career options. Um, so I was like, all right, I guess I got to, I got to make this happen. So I was like in high school, I was taking all these science classes and stuff that you're supposed to take. And I was, you know, wasn't very good in them. And then I went to this school and I was like, I'm going to be pre-med. I'm just going to, I'm going to get it together and study really hard. And I totally crashed and burned my first semester. I got like D's in my, um, my science classes. And I was like, forget this. I'm going to be an English major. And then everything was great <laughs> from there on in. <laughs> so it sounds like after you changed your major, things started going well, really well for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I changed my major. I actually ended up being a um, double major in English and French, and that was really lovely. I studied abroad my junior oh, year in wonderful. France, and that was a great experience. Yeah, that just you know really helped to open up my world and make me see that there was a big world out there beyond Pennsylvania. And I think just kind of gave me the courage to think about really moving on and out into the world and. Um, and yeah, I loved my English major. I had some really great professors there. And so I started getting an idea that I wanted to work at a magazine. I actually had always wanted to work in a magazine. I think probably even as a little kid, I thought I would like to work at a magazine. But it sounded like sort of a ridiculous idea because who works at a magazine? Like I never knew anyone who worked at a magazine and it probably was really impossible to get that job. And um it was sort of what I wanted to do, but I guess I didn't really believe in it, I, you know. And meanwhile, everyone was like, maybe a, maybe your local newspaper, and, and that's great and fine, but I just, like, I had this idea that I wanted to right. work at a magazine, and um, I, I think I got really lucky. And so I ended up, out of college, getting an internship at Men's Health Magazine, which was kind of a really great break because Men's Health is really, like, an A-list oh, yeah. kind of you know, major publishing magazine, and I just happened to be local to my college, and I happened to get the internship. And so I worked there out of college for about six months, I think. And um, once I got there, there was this big connection to New York City. So my that town in Pennsylvania was 90 miles from New York City, and there was this, like, line between my office in Pennsylvania and New York because a lot of the people who worked at Men's Health had previously lived in New York and worked in New York publishing and then moved to Pennsylvania for this job and vice versa. People would like leave men's health to go get a job in New York. And then Rodale also had an office in New York. So there was this sort of like connection to New York city and that helped me kind of ease my toe into mm-hmm. the New York world. And so like as my, um, because I mean, it was, like a girl from a small town in Pennsylvania to just pick up and move to New York city was like a really big, crazy, scary thing. Like I I definitely couldn't have just done it without having that kind of, um, that sort of community that helps me get into it. So while I was, um, at my internship and as I, as my internship was winding down, a lot of my friends who also had been interns were moving to New York because they wanted to try to, to work in publishing. And so I was like, yeah, if my friends can do it, I can do it. So, I just did like my internship ended and I just picked up and moved to New York and I ended up um, 
staying with a friend for almost a year um, as roommates. And um, in my last day of work at Men's Health, even though I was like a shy little intern, I walked around to every single editor. They, ter- I mean, they were very nice people, but they terrified <laughs> me to death because I was just a little intern. And I walked around to every single one of them. I had a little legal pad and I said, I'm moving to New York. Do you know anyone who I can call when I get there? And I left there with like three pages of names and numbers of people in publishing in New York, which looking back wow. was just, I mean, that was Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, it was, yeah. And I, got, I moved to New York and I got another job and I got an internship at Details Magazine, which was a great coup. I mean, they were, um, you know, they're a Condé Nast magazine. Is Details even still around? I'm I don't know sure if they, they are, are. I think or they not. Are. I mean, it's it's sad, but um, a lot of these magazines are. It'd be harder <laughs> now for an intern. <laughs> well, it's not really our demographic. Yeah, you know? <laughs> well, it's harder now. I mean, because I mean, magazines are kind of like you know, kind of evaporating. It's you know harder now to get an internship. Yeah. But so the internship that you got, I mean, the first one, that men's health internship, did that pay, or did you have? It did pay, actually. It did pay. And um, it was a great job. I mean, we were called interns, but we were basically That's staff awesome. writers. And all I did was write. I know. It was amazing. I wrote, um, mostly we would write the little short pieces in the front of the book, like the little 300-word pieces. But um, I had my hugest accomplishment there, which was really a crazy huge accomplishment, which also totally had to do with luck, was that we were sitting in a staff meeting one day. And it was like the whole staff, like from the editor-in-chief down to the interns and um that was when Clinton was in office and he had lost some weight. He had like gotten in shape and that was kind of a news story. And so we're sitting around the staff meeting and someone was like, wouldn't it be great if we did a story on what diet Clinton did to lose that weight? And I say, again, shy little intern, I keep up and I say, my friend's cousin is a chef at the white house. And they're all like, what? So I, He was like in the Navy and his, his job in the Navy randomly ended up being that he was a cook oh, wow. at the White House. And so I, the intern, got an interview with the chef at the White House and I got this like exclusive on the diet that Bill Clinton wow, eats. And so I got, I got, I know, it was crazy. I got this, that was like my great piece. So I left that job with not only all my clips of the small pieces, but with this like actual real clip of a real story that I got to write when I was there. So that was just really great. Yeah, and that's so awesome how stuff like that comes together. Yeah. Yeah. It was just total So when you moved to New York, yeah. you didn't, did you have a job lined up waiting for you? Or were you, okay, so how, no, how long did it take to get, your, to get the next job? Um, I think it probably took a couple of months, maybe only one. You know what? It might have been immediate. I'm trying to think about this. Because the, I'm going to say within one to okay. three months. So you just... But I got, I got some freelance jobs. So I, and we were living way out in Queens, so far out, um, in this really cheap apartment. So I didn't have, you know, my living expenses were pretty low. And um, I got, yeah, I got a few freelance jobs and just kind of like cobbled along for a little while. And then I got um, my internship at Details. And that was also a paid internship. Um, and, you know, not a lot of money. I was totally broke, but it was enough to, to get by. And I worked there for six months. And I got to do a lot of writing there as well. So I ended up having a really great set of clips, you know, within a year of graduating from college. And that was definitely... Um, a big and so help. where did you go after that? 
So let's see. My first full-time job, which was at this startup magazine that was called Working at Home, and it was a magazine about people who work at home and, like, all of the, like, dealing with having a home office, dealing with, like, the business issues that a self-employed person would have. It was, mo- it was mostly about, like, being self-employed and being mm-hmm. an entrepreneur on a small scale. Um, and it was a cute magazine, and it, but it folded after six months. So after I worked there for six months, the magazine folded, and the company stiffed us on our last month. You're kidding me! Pay. A month of pay? <laughs> no, that's ridiculous. No, that's that? yeah, that's totally rude. Yeah, it was really bad. Yeah, it was really bad. And I had just gotten my own apartment, so once because once I got the full job, I was able to um, go get an apartment, and um, I found this great little studio in the East Village, and then rent controlled, and um, so I was all set up in that apartment. And then um, I lost my job. But kind of in the, at least in the publishing world, I guess at least if you know nice people, you sort of get this wave of pity work after you lose your job. (laughs) I got like a ton of freelance work um, because I sent out all the like, I just got laid off. I need assignments. If anyone needs anything written, let me know. And I just got like a ton of freelance work. And I just started being a freelance writer, and I actually was a freelance writer for like seven years. Oh wow! That. So then you go from working, doing the work, work at home magazine, to actually working at home. <laughs> actually working at home, yeah. <laughs> so who did you write for? What publications were you writing for? So back then, I wrote for mostly men's and women's magazines because I had my connections from like details right. and men's health. So I was doing a ton of. Um, I was still writing for um, details and men's health, and then. Um, I was writing for like Mademoiselle, Cosmopolitan, Mary Claire, Prevention, just those like really mainstream men's and women's magazines, which looking back, I mean, it was great, but um, it still wasn't really true to my interests. Like I was trying to write, you know, beauty stories and dating stories and fitness stories. And it was always, in retrospect, it was always kind of a chore because I still wasn't—I still wasn't really aligned with my true passions, right. you know. So um, it was great, and I was really happy that I was able to make my living being a freelance writer and live in the East Village, and I thought that was really great, and I was really proud of that. But um, I still wasn't like fully aligned with my passions yet. So looking back, I can see that I was still like it still was work to be doing that, you know, it was work and I would, I would procrastinate and I would, you know, whatever. I wasn't like moving ahead the way I would like. I would always think I should be pitching stories more often and I should be getting better jobs. And, um, and looking back, I can see that that's just because I wasn't, um, you know, I didn't really care about fitness articles and beauty articles. (laughs) Like I was really grateful to be writing and getting paid for it. But, um, but I still wasn't like really where I needed to be yet. Um, but on the side during that time, because I was a freelancer, it gave me all this flexibility to start developing some of my other passions. So on the side, I was, um, I had the time to really develop some of my creative um, passions. And I started making handbags. I don't know why. I just was like, you know, living in New York, newly, newly in New York and looking around at all these boutiques and like seeing all of this fancy, expensive stuff and thinking, I can make this stuff. Like, I can make cuter stuff than this and sell it for $200 for a bag. You know, everyone else is doing it. I could do that. So I started making handbags and I started getting orders from um, boutiques around the city. So I started building this 
whole little handbag design company that I had. And eventually was having the bags made in a little local um, factory in the garment district in New York, which was really cool. And they, and I got a little sales rep. This was before Etsy and before blogs. So I, it was still very old school. So I got the sales rep who had a showroom and, you know, helping me get accounts. And, and the bags were selling um, around the country. And I had a couple of accounts um, wow. in Japan. And so I was doing that on the side for a few years, but um, that became a major dream in my finances because I was so young and I just didn't know what I was doing. And I was like putting things on my credit card and I was doing these trade shows because there was was no Etsy or anything. Like the only way to market yourself was to do these old school trade shows and they were so expensive. You like. Yeah, you had to like have your booth and have all your samples made. And, um, it just became. I was I was making sales and I did have income from that, but I realized after a couple of years that that about becoming a business person and running a business and less about being creative. Like I I got to be creative for a minute and design the new bag, and then I had to be a business person for four months and keep the business running. And I realized that that just wasn't really where I wanted to invest mm-hmm. myself. So I kind of phased that out. But also during that time, I started making wedding cakes for some of my friends who were getting married. So I lived in this 240-square-foot apartment, right, which is like a one-room, tiny And you were doing all this stuff in that space. Wow. Yeah. And then I started making wedding cakes, and that was just like the – funniest thing in the world in that tiny apartment I would have to use my neighbor's refrigerators like I would I would make a cake and then I'd have to go put it in my neighbor's house in a refrigerator because I didn't oh my have gosh and, can, and you know how I mean so, the stress involved with a wedding cake can you imagine if like a neighbor like would have destroyed the cake accidentally or their dog ate it or something you know what I mean oh my gosh I know so that's like living totally on the it edge. was always terrifying <laughs> Well, I had these bachelor friends, and I would use their refrigerators, and you know they never opened their Except refrigerators. Except to get a beer so I or something, like, yeah. So, <laughs> as long as they had room for beer, yeah. <laughs> right. It was like they were the cake was like still in a vault in the refrigerator at my, my bachelor <laughs> friend's house. <laughs> That's so funny. But you know the thing is, like when you when you're just when you're doing your thing and your and your space is limited, it's like you just you just work with what you have, you know. Yeah, you just and make it work. And yeah, that that's totally. really. So, you, how long were you doing these cakes for? Um, probably for a few years. There was like a seven-year period where I was working at home, and all that went on until I was about twenty-nine, I guess. And then um, I, I was actually, my, I was kind of like not getting enough work. And again, this is like back to I think being really in line with my passions. Like the freelance writing was kind of. It was drying up a little bit. Well, you know, September 11th happened, and that really was a blow to the freelancer community because um, so many companies that year went into, like, a panic mode of the economy is going to crash. We have to tighten up our budgets, and they really started cutting things. And so um, that actually was um, the point where my work really was drying up. And I also was, I wasn't doing a very good job of getting more work. Like I, I just, I knew I should be working harder on like pitching stories, but I just didn't, I didn't have ideas. Like I didn't have any ideas for a story about, you know, dating or I would think of ideas, but they weren't very good ideas. So it was kind of not, I was, my career was a little bit slowing down in terms of my writing work. I was still getting some work, but it wasn't like flourishing. And, um, 
And then September 11th happened and it was really bad for a few months. Like I really, I didn't pay my rent for a few months. And then I was just like, I need to change my life. I need to do something different. And I was a bartender for a and a half. Was that after was September 11th great. or before it was just, when you were doing bartending? Mm-hmm, after? after. Yeah. yeah, it was but the January after that I got that job. And um, I'm so glad I did that because, number one, I probably never would have got – I would not have been getting work. Like, like 2002, I was probably never going to make a living as a freelance writer. It was just a bad year. And um, – for the, for, you know, for work. And I'm so glad I stepped away and just took a break. And bartending was actually great. It was, I'm so glad I did that. I mean, I learned so many life skills doing that. And I learned so much about humanity people and, um, yeah. And it just, it was fun. I made a lot of friends and it was just really good to just have a total break from my life. And I, I think my parents were a little horrified by it, but I think it was great. And I would, I would encourage parents to not be horrified by their, 20 something kids doing weird things like that because it was great. And I feel like it, it taught me leadership skills and it taught me to be really tough. And it was just, it was, it was good. And it's funny how the world works because I just very naturally eased right out of that job because after doing it for about a year and a half and just sort of like floating along and being in the moment, I found out about a job opening at um, Women's Day as a craft editor and I ended up getting that job and then that was where I really finally, I feel like everything lined up. And then I was, I was using my publishing and my editor and my writing skills and my crafting skills. And so that was where, that was kind of my big moment where my career opened back up to like really getting on track with what I wanted to do. That's awesome. So how long were you with the magazine? So I was there for three years. I was actually in the special issues department. So it wasn't, it was like a sister department to the main magazine. And um, that department put out like 27 magazines a year that were all on special topics. So there were a lot of like remodeling and decorating magazines and cooking. And there were some craft magazines. So I got hired to do the craft magazines. I was doing the um, the paper crafting and scrapbooking. So I had my experience with the, the you know, the whole scrapbooking world, which is a really, like, specific and thriving oh, demographic. Yeah. And then I also, <laughs> I also did um, the knitting and crochet magazine there. So I was there for three years. And that was amazing because that was where I learned to be an editor. You know, before that, I was right, writing more right. of a writer. And that, that was just like, I just got thrown in there. I mean, I think I was, I was qualified to do the job. I had been working for a lot of big magazines at that point, but um, I really wasn't an editor yet. So it's kind of amazing that I got that job, but it was great. Like I cut my teeth and learned how to be an editor and I learned how to run a whole issue of a magazine and how to plan out an issue and think of story ideas and assign things to freelancers. And the biggest thing I started learning there, which is, I think kind of one of the most important things I have had to do as a craft editor was learn how to assign visual projects to people. Like I would, I would come up with my story ideas and then I would think, you know, all right, I know I want projects that look like X, Y, and Z and I want them to have this kind of feeling so that they'll fit in with the story. And then I would have to convey that person and then that person has to go through their creative process and come back and give me the thing that I was hoping right. that it would be. And that's really, really, really hard to do. And um, and that's where I started learning. I'm still learning that. I mean, that's a really hard um, 
thing to do. But um, that was where I started figuring out how to communicate to someone else. And I'm, I'm a little bit of an art director in my job, even though I'm an editor. It's at a craft magazine so visual that I'm, I'm sort of part art director as well. So that job was, that was great. You know, it's where I learned to start doing photo shoots and I learned to work with um, the graphic designer at the magazine doing layouts and learn to collaborate with them because that's also a really hard process to collaborate with your designer and help them to execute your vision without them just like getting really pissed off at you and thinking that you're a crazy micromanager, <laughs> you know, and, and like all of those things that go into being a magazine editor, I, I got to learn all of that at that job. So that it was really great. And I stayed there for about three years. And that was also where I started to do a little bit of TV. I got some TV spots there through that job. Like I was on Nitty Gritty and on um, um, another craft show that used to be on TV. So that was where I also got, you know, started to get, um, get a little bit of experience being in front of the camera as well. So that job was good. That was a good lucky break for me. And then did you move directly over to Crochet Today or was there another stop in between? Um, no, Crochet Today was my next job. So I was at, um, I was at Women's Day and, the, and that was actually a, it was like one of these full-time freelance positions where I was on a, it was always on a per project basis. So they would always decide year by year, like which magazines they were going to do. And then they'd hire you kind of for whatever was on the schedule. So I was there, it was like full-time, but not full-time. Like you never knew if they were going to keep giving See, you work. You know, and that's got to be. So it was always a little be bit. Kind of. Um, was that unnerving to you? I mean, because it sounds like you have gone so many totally. years doing. I mean, you had so many jobs. Or I was in one job for eleven years, and the the thing is, though, I felt trapped in it <laughs> for a long time, and I had a hard time yeah. walking out. But at the same time, I'm thinking, I don't know if I could have done this. Of course, I'm doing it now. I'm kind of just doing jobs to put it together, and I'm totally <laughs> yeah, fine. You are. But. Um, but so you were just, um, you know, kind of, you you do finish the job and then they would tell you whether or not they needed you for the next while. Yeah. You know, I never got nervous about it. And I think that you are either, you're one type or the other type. And I think that some people really like to have the stability of a job and others just don't need it. And in fact, I think I'm the type where a full-time job kind of like kills my soul a little bit. Like, I don't think, and we can talk about that later, but I don't think that... <laughs> I don't do well. Oh, I've learned that about myself, <laughs> that I actually, um, yeah. well, I always thought I was the type of person that needed the stability. It turns out in a way that's kind of what I, I, I had the hardest time with is that I knew I was coming back to that same yeah. place the next day. Um, and I worked with some very yeah. nice people and I had some great opportunities, but for me, I really felt, I really felt constricted, you know, by not mm-hmm. being able to kind of go my own way. So it sounds like you, thr- you in a yep. way thrived in that situation. So Totally. Yeah. I think we, we are alike in that way. So for me, I, I love the um, variety of being a freelancer. And I think part of me even loves the thrill of like, you know, you don't know if you're going to get another job and you always get another job because you do, but you don't know. And um, so it was not, it was not nerve wracking to me. It was fine. I always just did it. And when I got to the point where I really, truly couldn't get work, I went and got a different job. And I was a bartender for a year and a half during a really bad time in the city. And then I moved on, you know, so it was always fine. And um, I'm not saying it was like completely easy and painless. Like I'm sure oh, I worried yeah, about yeah. it sometimes if I didn't, if I felt like I didn't have enough work, but 
but it was okay. I did. I do okay with that type of. Um, well, especially since you're the type of person too that can, you know, make something for you. Like if you need a new something, you can make it. Um, where people who don't know that skill yeah. and they need a new, you know, slip cover for the couch or pillows and they just feel like their house is a, it's just depressing because everything's old and they can't afford anything new. <laughs> I mean, those of us who can make yeah. things, yeah, I think totally. in a way we can, you can compensate for what you don't have the money to go buy. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's a good point. So I think yeah. it makes it a little easier when we're strapped for cash sometimes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I could just make a giant cake and eat that for a month. <laughs> and store parts of it in your neighbor's refrigerator. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, it's you know, and it's just it's interesting too, like when you're in a situation where you have to be creative and figure out a solution to whatever dilemma you're in, um, you know, sometimes you just don't even realize, you know, what you can do until you kinda have to figure it out, you know, and, yeah. and that's, yeah. Absolutely. So, so from women's day, did they, did the project just end and they decided not to do the magazines or did you see this other opportunity at crochet today and kind of jump to that? Yes. I, I saw the new opportunity. The project did not end. It was still going on. Although they were always, they were getting a little wobbly about whether or not they were going to keep doing as many craft titles. So it was looking like maybe the work there might be slowing down, but that was kind of neither here nor there. And then I saw the job posting for Crochet Today, and the job posting was to start up a new um, crochet magazine because I got hired to launch the magazine. So I was like, well, that's kind of my dream oh, yeah. job, you know, to really have my own magazine where um, – because with the special issues, it was like each issue would stand alone – so you never really got to develop that momentum of like really build, building a voice for the magazine right. and the readership and a style and all of that. Um, and here was a magazine that didn't even exist yet. Like it needed to be totally um, created. So, um, yeah, I got the job. So that was, that was just super exciting. I was so, so happy when I got that job. I really, I felt like it was my dream job at that time. And, um, and the company that I worked for was great. I worked at Soho Publishing, which does book knitting. And um, at the time, they had knit one. Trisha Malcolm runs that company, and she's just amazing. She was a great mentor. She's, you know, really brilliant, has really great style. And um, so she really helped me kind of get on track with taking it to the next level and really running a magazine where the, you know, that just kind of was a little bit more um, in depth than the special issues sure. that I had been doing. So, um, so that was great. You know, I, um, I got in there at Soho Publishing with some really great professionals and um, everyone was really great about sharing their knowledge with me and their information. I mean, I remember sitting down with the Vogue-knitting people, and they just gave me the name of, like, every crocheter they know, and that was where... Because I didn't really know crocheters then. Like, I, I had been doing knitting and crocheting, but it wasn't... You know, it just wasn't the same. Like, I needed to I needed to really beef up my contacts and my involvement in the crochet world. So, I... Um, you know, I had to I had to find designers and writers and all of that, and... Um, so I just jumped in and did that, and it was really great. I mean, I think my first year there was probably my favorite because I love um, – I just love the oh, newness yeah. of things. Like, I love the beginning, beginning stage and creating things. And I've learned – part of what I learned through that job is that, like, once something is functioning and once it becomes a well-oiled machine, like, I get ready to move on. Like, I don't – as we said about the kind of – the routine of a day-to-day -day job, like, once it becomes routine and easy, it – it starts to get a little hard for me actually to keep doing that. But 
in the beginning, um, it was, it was a fun time and I loved my staff and my, um, I got to hire one other full-time editor and then we had some other editors that we shared with other magazines there, but my other full-time editor was just, I loved her and we're still very, very close friends to this day. And, um, and that was, that was And what year time. was that that you started that magazine? That was okay. 2006. And then you were, you were there for so, how many years? I think four and a half years. Let's see. I left in September of 2010, which was last, last September, not even a year ago, almost a year ago. So, um, does that add up? Yeah, 2006, mm-hmm. yeah. 2010. Yep. Four and a half years. Since I started in early 2006 and left in late 2010. So um, four and a half years. And then about, I think it was my second year there that we started the TV show. So Crochet Today was, is sponsored by Coates and Clark, um, and it only features Coates and Clark yarn. So Coates and Clark at that time also had an idea to create a PBS television show that would be a companion to the magazine. And so that that opportunity just came along, and I I started working on the TV show. Candy Jensen was the producer of the show from the beginning. It was like Coates and Clark hired her to produce the show for them. So I was working really closely with Candy, which was great because I love her, and we had a lot of fun, and I got to totally be very involved in you know planning the the TV show from the beginning and just you know helping out with planning segments and you know, we really wanted to have synergy between the magazine and the TV show. So I worked with Candy to, um, you know, use kind of projects and designers and style from the magazine in the TV show so that they would kind of feel like they were, you mm-hmm. know, companion things. Um, and then in the first season of the TV show, Cassie DePaiva was the host and I was like a correspondent. Um and then Cassie decided, you know, Cassie wasn't the host after that. It, you know, she it just she had other work to do. So then I became the host, which was another, you know, kind of lucky thing that just kind of came along in my life. So that was really fun. So I guess in my probably that was in my second year of crochet today. Then I had that whole big experience of um, learning how to be a TV host. So that was that was the big stimulating thing in my life that year was you know kind of doing that and getting that first season going. I think we did 14 episodes, no, 26 episodes that year. So it was like this huge and you, monster. And you taped, I mean, you record these right, season. like in a two-week block. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we record them in Detroit. I live in New York. Candy lives in San Francisco. And we go to Detroit to do the tapings um, because the Detroit public television station there had experience doing um, the Shea mm-hmm. Pendre show. So they had experience with um, doing the, you know, the camera work that's necessary for getting those shots that you need on knitting and crochet, which is actually no small feat. It's, I, I've worked with other camera people who were not experienced in that. And it's, if you don't know how to do it, it is really hard. Oh, to get it's a disaster. I've, yeah. I've, I've done live TV yeah. segments and without that tight shot, oh, right. yeah, without so the tight know, shot, yeah. especially when it's live, it's an absolute total disaster. You can't see anything. Most of the people yeah. on, at the Detroit station probably aren't, the camera guys probably aren't crocheters. They don't go home and crochet. But, you know, <laughs> and I, I got to visit your show the one time, and I did notice that they seem to really have it down, like what to do to uh, to work with you guys. Yeah. So that's awesome that you found some people who knew what to do. Yes. 
that was great. Yeah, they know what they're doing, and that that was really important. And they're also just really nice to work with. So um, that's the story behind why we traveled to Detroit to do our taping. So we go out there for either one week or two weeks, depending on how many episodes we're shooting, and we just bang it out. We do like usually about four episodes that's a day. A lot. Um, yeah, it is a lot. It's pretty intense. It's really exhausting. We are. It's like an exercise in just like you know trying to keep it together and not <laughs> melt down and kill each other. Because well, the it's thing just, that people, the part that people hard. don't see too, and one of the things that I was just really intrigued by is backstage. I know um, the crochet dude was there. And I mean, he was like uh-huh. back there working on step outs, like while another segment was being taped. So yeah. this is something that people, unless you see it, people don't fully appreciate that when they watch each segment one at a time at home, that this is like, there's some mad crafting going on behind the scenes to get this thing yeah. going. And that's one of the things that makes it probably in a way. So you know, it's kind of like in the moment, it can probably be very stressful. But part of the fun though, is that you're in it together with the other people on the show and you're working really hard to get this thing done. And then when you get done, I imagine you probably collapse after that. Um, yeah, you do. But it is, I mean, it is, a, it's a lot of work, you know, and I witnessed that and I saw all these step outs lined up and I was like, holy smokes. And, and from what I was hearing backstage, yeah. a lot of this crafting had happened the night before, you know, um, because, you know, cause you might, yeah. you need it's... step outs and you might not have, <laughs> oh my gosh, we forgot one and you got to whip it up. And uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. It's yeah, and we're we're never as organized and prepared as we need to be because you know who is, and it's always just like this mad rush. Like the night before, the whole week long, every single night, everyone's always up late finishing their projects. I mean, a lot of times people are still finishing their actual projects that they're going to demonstrate. Not to mention their step outs, you know. And then everyone's always frantically backstage, just crocheting and knitting as fast as they can. And we're always like trying to find an intern who knows how to crochet and just making them like go in and sit there to crochet. So it's pretty crazy. And so who's on your show now? Cause you have some other regulars, you're the host. And then who, who else do you have? Yeah. yeah. The format that we use is that um, I'm the host and then we have four experts who are always on. So they come and do the demonstrations with me. Um, and we do that as opposed to having like different guests every show um, we do that because it really allows the experts and the host to kind of really build a rapport and for us to sort of have more of more of a handle on the, um, I don't know, the kind of overall breadth of um, techniques that we share with the readers rather than it being a little bit more hodgepodge of like, here's one designer who is doing this and another designer mm-hmm. who's doing that. It kind of allows us to like think more strategically about the subjects that we put out. Um, and also budget-wise, it's easier because, as you said, you know, PBS shows are super low budget, and it is just kind of easier to, to have four people travel in than to have um, 20 different people oh, travel yeah. in. Sure. So we, we have our four experts, and they are Robin Chichula, who is a crochet designer, um, Drew Mborski, the crochet dude, who's a crochet designer, Kristen Nicholas, who's a knitter, and Maggie Pace, awesome. who's a knitter. And Candy Jensen is our producer, and she, of course, is a legendary crocheter. So um, she's the sort of woman behind the curtain, kind of orchestrating everything. She's the one who, you know, plans out all of the segments and the projects and all of that and um, keeps everything running. So um, that's our crew. And, um, yeah, we do we do have a lot of fun with it. It's fun, and um, it's a great thing to be part of. So it sounds like you've been able to – you're still doing that show even though you're not with the magazine. Yeah. So what happened in there was that Coates and Clark decided 
that they were not going to continue underwriting. It was really, it was a major like psychological thing to, um, to just accept that I just wanted something different and that was okay. And so I finally took the leap and I resigned and I didn't have anything else lined up. I was writing my book at that time. So I had my book, but you know, you don't make a lot of money. Did you have a book? So you already had a book deal to do a book. Okay. I already had my book deal for my selling book. Yeah. And my plan was to just do that book on top of my job, which I did, but the book wasn't really tied into me leaving my job, but I did have the book going at that time. So that was at least something, at least I knew I'd have something to work on. Even if it wasn't enough to live off of, at least I knew I had like one project Mm -hmm. to hang my hat on. And so I finally just took the leap and I just did it. And then like, before I even announced to anyone that I was leaving, I got all of these opportunities just came into my life. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. Like it still gives me to think about the way the world works. Like no one even knew yet that I was leaving my job, but I, I had resigned and internally we knew. And then all of a sudden all this new stuff came and I got, um, I got a job with Land's End last fall as a spokesperson for their feel good campaign, which was a knitting crochet related charity campaign and I got um, I got a consulting job with a craft company, kind of helping them work on some product developments at their companies. And those were both those are both jobs that were like you know real work. Like I could support myself off of those for a few months. And I was just like it was it was so amazing to me that like when I finally took like the cliche leap mm-hmm. and then that will appear. It was like when I finally took the leap all the stuff just came right in and I didn't have a single day of like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? I'm out of work. I quit my job and I don't have any money. Like it just was this seamless, perfect, beautiful transition. And it just, I still feel so lucky thinking about Change it. Change can really be, I mean, it's unsettling sometimes and, and a little nerve wracking when you're not sure what's going to happen next. But if you want to invigorate your life, I mean, that's definitely one way to do it is to make a change, you know, but yeah, I think it makes parents nervous. And um, even when children are fully grown, but when they, say, oh, yeah, I've quit my totally stable job, you know. <laughs> but, but what? how did your parents yeah. respond to that? You know what? My parents, let me tell you, they are the type that have always had stable jobs. I mean, I just, they both just retired. My mom just retired two weeks ago, and I feel like just so amazingly just in awe of them. They worked so hard their whole lives for our family and me and my two brothers, and that they just they, you know, they are definitely the type that you like, you keep your job, like you have your job and you work at it every day and you don't complain about it and it's a good job and that's what you do. And so that's, you know, that's what they, that's definitely how they lived. But what's so amazing about my parents is they'd never impose that on me. And they've always been super supportive of me doing all my weird things that I do in my job. They were supportive of me moving to New York without a job and they were supportive of me being a freelancer, which was a really crazy, scary thing, but, you know, pretty young kid in my early twenties. And they, when I quit my job, I was like, they're going to think I'm crazy. They are going to be mortified. Like, how am I going to support myself? So now flash forward, I'm like 35 living in Manhattan. Like my living expenses are much higher than they were when I was 22. Like back then I knew I knew how to survive on ramen noodles. Now I'm like an adult who wants to like live a real life, (laughs) you know? So (laughs) I need to make a living and and New York is kind of a scary town because it's it's really expensive here and I thought my parents were going to be freaked out and as soon as I told them they were like good for you that is awesome you've been ready to move on that is so great we know you're going to do great and it was like it's still so touching to me that they're able to respond that way and just be 
totally supportive and not, you know, not project any fear on right. me at all. So that was, well, and it gives you the really confidence then yeah. to kind of believe, I mean, to really believe you can pull it off, you know, when your parents are saying, we know you yeah. can do it, you know? Yeah. So that's awesome. Although just the other day, my mom said to me, I'm so happy that you're doing so well and you have a lot of work. I was kind of afraid that when you left your job that you weren't going to so have she, work. So see, she kept it to herself, you know. And so, you know, you started, as you said, these opportunities started coming to you when you left your job. And now I know you've been doing some really cool video stuff on your website, which has been, you've partnered with some impressive yeah. video, uh, makers there. And uh, yeah. so maybe if you can talk a little bit about so, what's happening. Yeah, I, now, since you've left your your day job, um, yeah, it's been great. It's been a great year. It's I have to say, I am so happy now. I'm so happy that I made the move. I mean, I you know, and I don't mean to make it sound like I you know nothing negative about the magazine. Like that was a great job, and I'm really so happy that I did it. And I think it really really helped to grow my career. I'm very proud of the magazine, and I love all of our readers. But um, I'm so happy that I moved on to do my, my own thing because I just, I just love the feeling of having my own ideas and getting to execute them the way I want. I just, I love that. So this past year, let's see, what have I been doing? I finished up the uh, selling book, sewing in a straight line. Um, I've been doing some different jobs, sort of like a little bit of consulting within the industry, kind of on some behind the scenes. I've, been doing some, I filmed um, a DVD for Simplicity about loom knitting, actually for boy, boy needles. Um, I filmed a loom knitting DVD. I did a job with Simplicity and Singer where I went on Shop NBC um, sort of as a spokesperson. They were selling their products on Shop NBC, and so I was the person who kind of went on air to demonstrate the products. So I've been doing some jobs like that, which has been really fun. And then on the side, I've been... Um, Working on my own projects, I um, I relaunched my website. As you said, it's really hard to find the time for stuff like that. But um, I'm hoping that I'll be able to do that a little bit more than I already do. And um, I've been doing some videos with some friends of mine who are professional videographers, and we just kind of um, we have a good relationship because they are they're always interested in kind of building their reel and just working on new things. So um, we kind of have an arrangement where it's not as expensive to do because we kind of each want to contribute for mm -hmm. our own reasons, sure. you know? So we've been, yeah, we've been, uh, we've been creating some videos, which has been really cool. We made um, several months ago, we made a video about. Yeah. I watched it. It was so cute. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> that was really fun. They're really into cool stuff like, you know, stop motion and animation. So they did all these really cool special effects with the jello and that was really fun. Um, so we've been working on some video stuff and we made three videos to correspond with my book and videos were sponsored by Coates and Clark, which was really great. Um, so we were able to make three really nice videos. One, they all show, um, projects from the book. So one shows how to make a skirt. One is those bowls we were talking about, these cute little fabric bowls. And the last one is a pillow with a zipper in it which we also talked about. So um, those were really fun to work on. I just got my website redesigned. That was a really fun project just to kind of be collaborating with the designer and the developer on that. And I'm working on a lot of Jell-O. I'm hoping, I'm hoping to, um, to start a Jell-O work project, which I probably shouldn't talk about because it's totally not happening yet. But um, that's something that I'm hoping to start 
really focusing on for the so are, is there the gonna year. be a jello book in your future you think because i think I you so. would be the one to write it yeah just because you seem to have a very true love for jello modes what's next for you you have all this all these exciting things i don't really know honestly i um I actually, I really do want to write a Jello book, and I'm hoping that that is something that I'll be doing in the near future. But that's totally not actually set up yet. Um, after that, I don't know. You know, sometimes I think I would like to start my own craft magazine, the multi craft magazine. I don't know. I'm not sure that that's really the direction I want to go anymore. I feel like that might be my dream from last year. <laughs> I've been kind of having a lot of fun with. It. <laughs> I mean, believe you know, I love craft magazines. I love that you have started a craft magazine. I love the, you know, I that absolutely is something that needs to be out there in the world. I'm just not sure if, you know, I don't know. It's something I think I might like to do, but I don't know. I think about, um, you know, the web. I'm getting more and more into the web. Like with my background being so much in print, I've always been very print right. focused and um, a little bit. Yeah, there's a little bit of thing in the print world where some people are like clinging stubbornly to print and yeah, refusing and you, to embrace you, the web. We all have to move toward and, the web, you know, and I think that yeah. it is hard though. Yeah. Cause I know when, you know, the web, you know, first, I mean, everyone was talking about how print was going to die and all that. And I was like, no, no, it can't be. But I'm, you know, I think that, you know, <laughs> that's why I'm publishing in both print and PDF because if you're not able to circulate with, you know, paperless in a paperless format, you know, you're going to have a trouble. And a lot of people are going just to blogs, relying yeah. on blogs and um, YouTube to get their crafty information. So you kind of need, you need to have a presence on the web if you're going to survive yeah. as a modern day crafter, yeah. you yeah. be part of the discussion. So it sounds like you're kind of weighing all your options. Yeah, I am. And, you know, sometimes I think maybe I'll just put my time and energy into just making my blog, you know, really, really serious professional resources crafting information almost like a little craft magazine mm-hmm. on its own. Um, you know, I'd love to do more TV. I'd love to have a craft television show. I'd love to have a television show where I show people how to decorate cakes. You know, I just, I have a million things that I love. So I'm not sure what's going to be next. I'm kind of just trying to like let myself be and put it, put it out there and see what happens. I just moved to a new apartment a couple of months ago. I moved to Brooklyn and um, have so much more space than I've ever had. And I have no furniture because I always lived in this tiny little studio apartment. So I, I just want to decorate my apartment. I want to like DIY this whole place. I want to like craft it from floor to ceiling. And well, that's to wall. exciting. And that'll be a lot of blog content yeah. that will come out of that. Yeah, exactly. So um, I don't know. It's like sometimes I hear myself say things like that. And I'm like, but that's not work. But then I remind myself that work comes that's out true. of those things. You know, like that's that's just what you do. Like I'm just going to put it out there. And um, and uh, I know that one way or the other it will turn into paying the bills. Right. Well, you're doing so, – you contribute to other websites as well, right? Because I know I saw you – like don't you do um, – you do uh, sewing tutorials. Yeah. I do sewing tutorials at Design Sponge. Yep. And that's really fun because that's – it's not really a like devoted sewing audience. So it's, it's cool to, but it's a great website. They have a great audience and really big circulation. And so, and really great style. I mean, I love the aesthetic oh, yeah, of that website. website. So it, it's great to have the opportunity to think of sewing projects that look really attractive and are easy to make for people who aren't, you know, diehard sewers. So, um, yeah, that's a column that I write, and that's fun. And I know I just saw you and Drew over on 
Etsy's website. Now, is, yeah. are you going to be a regular over there, or is that just kind of a one-time thing for you and Drew? That was just a one-time thing, um, although we, I am doing another event with them on August 8th. I'm doing that same event again. That's their craft night that they do every Monday, and it, start, it, it launches off with a live webcast where you do like a little live demo over the web, which is what Drew and I did together, and then it turns into just a real in-real-life in event at their headquarters, and it's open to the public, and people come, and they get to have a free craft lesson in whatever the subject is that night. So Drew was doing a crochet mm-hmm. demo and I'm going to be doing a, um, a sewing demo on August 8th. So if anyone lives in the New York area, that's there. Well, and congratulations to you. I mean, you, you've had some wonderful success and, uh, you know, and, it, and you deserve Thank all you. of it. Special thanks to Brett for being such a great guest. I was very happy to participate in her blog tour. She is making her way around cyberspace and visiting a lot of blogs and giving away a lot of cool stuff. I mean, she's giving away a sewing machine and serger combo, so be sure to check out the links on craftsanity.com and get in on that because she's, like I said, there's a lot of great giveaways going on. And also at Craft Sanity, we're going to give away a copy of her book, as I mentioned before the interview. Head on over there to craftsanity.com and leave a comment under episode 125 and tell us about your first sewing project. We want to hear about the success stories, the disasters, and everything else in between. And if you are someone who has never sewn anything, this contest is still open to you. You can still get into this drawing. Just tell us. It's a random drawing, so just tell us what you want to make, maybe why you've been hesitant to to try it, and you can get a chance to win this book too. So I hope you all do uh, check out Brett's book. She worked hard on it. She's got some great video tutorials that go along with it. And let me just tell you too, for anybody else who has a book out, even if it's not in sewing, the sewing realm, or if it's something you're planning, you have a book in the works, I can just tell you, I have worked with a lot of publishers and I've worked with a lot of people who are promoting their book and doing blog tours. But I can just tell you, hands down, nobody does a blog tour like Brett. (laughs) She did an excellent job, very organized. And even if you just want to observe um, a successful it's, in my opinion, this has been a pretty successful, um, very well-organized blog tour with lots of extra goodies. So uh, if you want to promote your own book, take a look at what she's been doing, folks. And I want to thank my sponsor for making this episode possible. As I mentioned in the episode 124, which was also sponsored by Tea Times Creations, uh, Tea Times Creations jumped in for two episodes. Thank you so much for helping me keep this show going. I have not lined up a a sponsor yet for episode 126. I kind of surrender to the universe and trust that it will happen. But like I said, it was really great to have Tea Times Creations behind episodes 124 and 125. So if you missed last episode, go check it out. And once again, I want to remind you to head over to teatimescreations.etsy.com. And there you're going to find repurposed fine china creations. They feature tea and cake stands and also supplies to make your own at home. So... Uh, they also offer drilling services. So if you have some uh, china at home that you want to make into a cake stand, they can help you out. If you just want to have a finished piece for an event you have coming up, they can help you with that too. These would make great centerpieces for the snack table at showers and weddings. So keep that in mind and head over to teatimescreations.etsy.com. And thank you so much, Tea Times. I really appreciate your support. If you'd like to become an a sponsor of an upcoming episode of Craft Sanity, please do get in touch. You can write sponsors, dot, um, sponsors at craftsanity.com 
or send me a note, jennifer at craftsanity.com, and we can talk about it. Uh, I love working with um, small independent businesses. I can help you get the word out about what you do. And in the meantime, you help me keep this show going, which I love dearly. I'm looking for sponsors for episode 126. So I will uh, get that episode out as soon as I line up some sponsors. So send me a note if you're interested. And I'm, I have a packed schedule today, so I'm going to head on out to the next thing. Um, I will do a very brief, and I know by my standards that's probably quite long in some of your minds, but I'm going to do a brief after show, so after the music plays, you can stick around if you like. If not, you can go on your merry way, and I will be back soon with another episode of the podcast. And in the meantime, Craft Sanity, my friends, it works for me. Okay, folks, as I mentioned, I am I am on deadline today, so I don't have a lot of time to yammer on, which actually could be very good for you. <laughs> it's, you won't have to listen to me as long. But I wanted to say I went to Maker Fair in De- Maker Fair, Detroit, over the weekend. I was there Saturday filming some artists, some interviews with artists. I went back on Sunday and had a booth for the day with Handmade Detroit. And let me just tell you, I know um, the vending for the crafters was a little slow on on Saturday, but then they moved all the crafters to another location on Sunday. And wow, I had the I had the best show I've ever had, and it was really awesome. And I just want to say thank you to all the people that came by the booth and you know bought a loom or a magazine. Some people bought both, which was excellent. I had a, a great time teaching people how to weave. My sisters, Jackie and Julie, my little sisters, were with me, thank goodness, because we taught a lot of people to weave right there at the booth. And, I mean, there were points when we were all busy. It was just crazy. And I think part of the reason why we had so many people around is we were inside in the air conditioning, and it was so hot outside. Yeah, I, I want to say, I don't know, it was like, I want. I think it was 92 degrees or something. I don't know why I have that temperature in my head is thinking that's what it was, but it was super uncomfortably hot outside. And so we had the air conditioning going for us and I just met some lovely people. It was so fun. I don't normally do bigger shows. I do, on occasion, I do the market here in Grand Rapids. And that's kind of hit and miss because it's not like a major one-time event. You really do need to be there on a regular basis to build up your customer base. And I, my schedule in the summer just doesn't really allow for that. So, um, yeah, this was a really a wonderful show. And um, thanks to Handmade Detroit for uh, letting me get a booth. I really appreciate that. On the website, I'm going to be posting the video in, a video clip of some interviews I did with the artist I met. So uh, I didn't get to shoot as many videos as I wanted because I just kind of ran out of time and kind of ran out of steam, too. So I, I mean, cause every, there was a story in every single booth and you know, I could only go so far. Yeah. So my husband is going to edit that and kind of cobble it together and we'll get that up. So look for that soon on the blog. And, uh, yeah, so I'm really, um, I'm doing more weaving too, more weaving projects. I actually came home from the maker fair and I actually was talking to somebody and I just did a blog post about this, how I was telling this woman She's asked me questions about weaving, and I'm telling her what I do. And then she, uh, I, I caught myself saying something like, "Well, you know, sometimes I'm kind of envious of my the people that buy my looms. I mean, they get to go home and make something on the loom, and I go home and make more looms. <laughs> I mean, it's a wonderful problem to have. Uh, but originally, when I got into making looms, I was trying to find something that would bring in some income because I had quit my day job, and I still do freelance writing. I'm a columnist for my local paper, and 
Uh, I specialize in writing about art and craft and love that, but it does, I mean, you cannot live on the amount of money I make from it. And so I thought, okay, I'll start making these looms. And you guys have heard the story before on this episode, on, on the podcast, a previous episode. But, you know, one of the things I didn't think about is the fact that I designed the looms because I wanted looms in these particular sizes and I couldn't find them anywhere. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll just try to make them. So I was able to collaborate with a woodworker and we have this line of looms now and um, I'm pounding in pegs all the time and finding that I don't weave as much as I want to. And I know this is a problem for any of us who make things for a living. You know, you get into something and maybe you have a very successful like jewelry line or you know, makes you make softies and you might be making the same softie over and over or maybe you're making a lot of production of, you know, pieces of jewelry or whatever you're doing. And sometimes we just get so caught up in it that we don't make take the time to like stop and remember like why we even got into this. And for me, I made those looms because I wanted to weave on the looms. So I went home. Uh, it was very late. Maker Fair was in Dearborn. Then I went to over to Fraser where I'm from to collect the rest of my family. And um, we had some dinner and a very late dinner and then we headed home it was a two and a half hour drive then back to Grand Rapids and it was late by the time I got home but I got out one of my looms and I started weaving and I wove like five squares and the next day I got up early even though I was tired it's like I just couldn't sleep I got up and I wove 10 more squares and then I made this rug that's 15 squares vintage fabrics that my sister collected from all over the place and I love it and I'm so glad that I took the time to make that. So I'm going to be doing more of that. And I have all these projects in my head with the looms that I want to do so I can show you folks how to do and all the people that have bought looms. And so, yeah, it was really expi- inspiring to be at the Maker Fair. I didn't expect – I thought I'd be exhausted. I didn't expect that I'd be energized and go home. I was exhausted but energized. I don't know if you know what I'm – you know, you probably experience that every now and then. So I went home and I started working on this, and now I have a new rug very excited about. I'm working full steam on the next episode, or the ne- I keep saying episode, but I'm working uh, full steam on the next issue of Craft Sanity magazine. I'm actually kind of working on fall and winter together. I'm working with some fabulous designers. I am so excited about this this issue. We're kind of going to use home as a theme for the fall, and you know, it's Craft Sanity, so kind of anything goes. It's not going to be I don't stick to, you know, I'm not militant about the themes. It's more of a seasonal thing. But we're kind of kind of trying to create a sense of home, which seems totally ironic because I am in an office right now that is a total sty. I need to create a sense of home in my own office here, which would be great, and maybe that would spread to the rest of the house. But anyway, we are doing some projects to kind of cozy up your place, you know, from, um, well, you know, I'll save I'll save the preview for another another after show because we've got a ways to go still but anyway if you have ideas for a project that you'd like to submit by all means get in touch it's jennifer at craftsanity.com you can send those those all your ideas uh, my way and uh, if you have a show suggestion feel free to send that along too and i'll add it to my list so yeah i'm gonna get on with the other work i gotta do today i'm actually working on a story about weird stuff kids swallow it has nothing to do with the art and craft I still don't exactly remember how, like, what series of events led to me actually taking this assignment. Yeah, I don't, I don't recall. All I know is that my name was attached to it and had a due date. But well, I better get on that. So I have to go do some writing. But I hope you guys have a wonderful next couple weeks, and I will be back soon with another episode. So get crafting, everyone. Especially if you have, if you're someone who works in the craft business and you haven't made something for yourself in a while. Just take a break and do it. I didn't have time to do it yesterday. 
Um, I spent several hours weaving, which, you know, who has time to do that? You know, when you're trying to run a small business and you get all these deadlines. But the thing is, it did me a world of good. And it makes me very happy now to see my rug. And I'm less agitated because I got something out of my system that had been, you know, an idea I had stashed away for years. So um, highly recommend it. You deserve to take a break. So I hope you do. All right, I'll be back soon. You guys have a great time in the meantime.